Hammerhead spent two years building the Karoo 2, packing all the features users love from the original Karoo into a smaller, lighter, and more powerful device. Durable, light, and wrapped in a glass-filled polycarbonate, the Karoo 2 is 40% smaller, 33% lighter, and packed with even more features. It is the iPhone to the other head unit's flip phone. There's room for more maps, data, and software upgrades with 32 gigabytes of high-speed storage, and a responsive and quick interface pairs with an extremely fast processor. The beautiful and highly customizable data display offers best-in-class, visually stunning mapping and navigation. The Karoo 2's software is continuously evolving, with more features being added every month. It's the most connected head unit available with Ant Plus, Bluetooth Low Energy, Wi-Fi, 3G, 4G, and GPS capabilities. Karoo 2 pre-orders are already sold out. Head over to www.hammerhead.io to sign up so you know when they're back in stock. Hello, Velo News listeners. This is Dan Cavallari, tech editor at Velo News, coming at you with another Velo News tech podcast. And today, I, I hate to do this to you guys, but it's time to start looking forward to riding indoors. It's uh, it's fall. Uh, it's it's bound to happen. <laughs> so, uh, in light of that, in uh, and and I actually just started setting up my trainer today. So uh, I'm in that mode. I'm ready to, to get ready to, to actually start riding indoors again and, and training this time, not just sitting there and spinning, actually getting the most out of it. Um, and, and in that pursuit, uh, a new book landed on my desk recently called Ride Inside, uh, The Essential Guide to Get the Most Out of Your Indoor Cycling, Smart Trainers, Classes, and Apps. And, you know, I, I do a lot of this stuff and I still kind of need a, a a guide for this sort of stuff. There's just so much, and there's so many great ways now to take advantage of indoor riding, not only just to get through the winter doldrums, but to actually make it a part of your training. So I reached out to the authors of that uh, that book, which is uh, Joe Friel. Joe, how you doing? I'm doing very well, Dan. Thanks. Thank, thanks for coming on. And uh, your, yeah. co- your co-author, Jim Rutberg. Jim, how are you doing? I'm doing well, thank you. So guys, um, you know, obviously with with COVID being what it is, uh, Zwift had a very big year this year. Uh, Indoor riding really took off in in a lot of ways that I don't think anybody really expected. Um, But it seems like a pretty simple process, right? Like you, you, you set up your bike, you hook up your trainer and you start paddling, right? So what 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 will readers get above and beyond that from from reading your book ride inside? Um, Joe, I'll jump in on, on this one. I think the when Joe and I talked about it, there are a lot of options um, out there. And the most important thing for people is to find the one option that's going to make them increase the number of rides or the number of hours that they spend on the bike. Um, and in that, we broke it down into kind of four categories. And then each of those have their pros and cons. You can ride off-grid completely. So there's no electricity, no internet needed. There are no distractions for that, but you also need a lot of willpower in order to kind of go into your pain cave with no um, no connections. Yeah, that sounds hard. <laughs> you, you can be connected. So you have a smart trainer and, uh, and either the, the handlebar-mounted computer or an app, mm-hmm. but you're not connected to um, anyone outside of your room. So mm-hmm. you're, you're getting maybe streaming content, but you're still not interacting with anyone else. Okay. Then there's the interactive uh, Zwift and group rides and workouts. And just like other, uh, group workouts, uh, group rides and things like that, people can do too many of them and lose focus on focus training, or they can benefit from them because of the social aspect. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then the last one is together. And that's the in-person classes, um, which have the benefit of 
live coaching and leadership and people showing you what to do. And then the, that person right next to you, um, who, you know, people perform better and, and do more work sometimes when there's someone next to them. Mm -hmm. That of course, in, in the era of COVID is, um, a little bit trickier at this point. Sure. So it's, it's sort of like a guidebook to getting started in all four of those different areas. Yeah, as well as uh, way to, ways to um, to combine them because uh -huh. I don't I think there uh, there are times when it really is good to have very little connection or be able to to focus on just what you are doing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, one of the things that Joe and I talked a lot about is the fact that ergometers, for instance, the erg mode on on a trainer is great, gives us these wonderful power files that look perfect, mm -hmm. but there's a difference between a 450 watt effort for five minutes that the that the ergometer is setting and you just have to keep up with it. Yeah, yeah. And getting the internal motivation to produce 450 watts <laughs> for five minutes yeah. and do it over and over and over again. And in the real world, um, if you're going to go out and race and things like that, and you're going to go out and even do an e-race, you have to do that on your own. Yeah, yeah. So there are times when you combine all of these different aspects of, of how to ride inside. Right. Well, that's, and that's an interesting point because I think for the longest time, and this is certainly the case for me is, uh, you know, for the longest time riding indoors was just about survival really, you know, like 30 to 45 minutes of just staring at the washing machine as I just check my watch over and over again to see if it was over. <laughs> so it's certainly become, you know, bigger than that now, especially with, you know, with Zwift and things like smart trainers, uh, to really take advantage of that in a, in a, in a, in a sense of training and fitness, you know, we're not just maintaining anymore. Now it's possible to actually build fitness over the winter or whenever you're on your trainer. Yeah. So, so that's pretty, to me, pretty compelling right there is, you know, how do I, motivate myself and how do I, um, do the right things while I'm on my trainer. So it's not just time I'm wasting away. Um, so aside from sort of the, the general, uh, breadcrumb approach of like, here's, here's what you do to get started. And here's the four different ways you can use it. Um, walk me through some of the, the indoor workout guidance that you offer in the book. I mean, what will people learn from these workouts that they can't learn anywhere else? Yeah, there's there's significant difference between riding inside and riding outside. You you just hit on some of them, which go way back. I, I started doing this myself in the 1980s with indoor trainers. Now I eventually got a Compu trainer, which was a gigantic step up mm -hmm. from where I started. And um, and the, the things now, as Jim has talked about, has really gone far beyond that with all the ways we can use smart trainers, especially to uh, enhance the workout. So yeah, there are some things we can, we can accomplish that, that are really beneficial for us, riding indoors versus riding outdoors. There are also, there's the other side of the same coin, which is not everything is beneficial indoors. Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a give and take. We can, we can benefit and we can also have some negative consequences, which I'll come back to later on. Mm -hmm. But for example, uh, Jim's already touched on some of these. Depending on the, on the type of indoor training you're doing, it could really be a matter of motivation, just as you were suggesting also, Dan, that sometimes the hardest part of riding indoors is just the motivation to get through it. That, yeah. that <laughs> I can recall that back in the 80s, I was doing three, four, five-hour rides indoors. Oh, my God. <laughs> not just a dumb trainer, but a stupid trainer. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you got all kinds of names for it after you spent several hours just turning cranks and sweating. And after a while, you learn out of Tour de France tapes to watch, and uh, you have to enter entertain yourself somehow. So it, 
can be very uh, difficult, but that that in a way is good for you also. If, if you can, if you have the motivation to get through a workout like that, that makes outdoor workouts really rather easy by comparison. Right. If you're training that way. Um, so besides motivation, there's issues like focus. Uh, you can stay very focused when you ride indoors. Um, you have a lot of concentration. You can really, you can, if you're watching numbers, you can pay precise um, attention to particular numbers, making sure you hit those throughout the workout. Whereas on the road, you've got all kinds of things happening that are that are breaking your concentration and you're losing your focus over and over and over because of traffic and intersections and all kinds of stuff. There's dogs being chased, chasing you, all kinds of stuff are going on. So none of that happens indoors. So the, the biggest thing you can get out of turning indoors is that the workout becomes very focused. Mm-hmm. You really can accomplish exactly what you're trying to accomplish. I don't have to go, if I, if I want to do hill repeats, I don't have to drive someplace or ride my bike someplace for a half hour to find the hill I'm looking for. Uh, I can do them right now. I can warm up and do the hill I'm interested in doing on my on my trainer. Mm-hmm. So it gives you um, that focus and also that ability to do things that you're focused on. Mm-hmm. So uh, steady hard efforts become much easier indoors than they are outdoors, just because there's no there's nothing to break your concentration. You can stay very very highly focused. Mm-hmm. So, but most of the benefits are the same. You know, the things that come out of riding indoors versus riding outdoors are are pretty much the same. Mm-hmm. The two biggies are aerobic capacity or VO2 max. That can be improved just as easily indoors as it can outdoors. There really is no difference between the two. Your body doesn't know what you're doing if you're on a road or if you're on a trainer all experiences is intensity and duration mm-hmm. and so you can you can really stay focused on doing the workout so you can improve aerobic capacity that's a biggie makes no difference where you are and the other is uh, lactate threshold or anaerobic threshold mm-hmm. whatever terminology you want to use um, and that becomes um, very beneficial also in, in that you can stay very focused on doing the workout. That, again, takes us back to interval types of workouts. They aren't as challenging as the aerobic capacity, VO2 max intervals, but they are challenging. Mm-hmm. Uh, doing repeats, long repeats at a relatively high intensity, 90% to 100% intensity, uh, percent of FTP. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so there's there are some things we can accomplish indoors that we can do exactly the same things outdoors. It's just that it's easier indoors than it is outdoors. Mm-hmm. That's the biggest. That's the biggest change we, we see by going to an indoor trainer. Sure. And do you think? I mean, do you think that results in indoor riders uh, being just fitter and and stronger than they were before? And is that really? Um, I mean, is that something that's a function of riding inside, or is that just uh, because people are actually riding inside more? Yeah, if you know, it always comes down to what do you enjoy doing the most. Yeah, yeah. If you enjoy going on a Zwift ride, by you'll you'll probably get a lot more out of that than if you went out on the road by yourself. Mm-hmm. Some people really enjoy being on the road by themselves, so they may not have quite the inclination, motivation, whatever it takes, to ride indoors. So it really depends on the person, but you can you can get the same benefits indoors or outdoors as far as. Those two elements. There's a third element of fitness I'll talk. I'll come back to later on. I think we won't get bogged down here right now. But it's really it's that is really going to be different indoors versus outdoors. But for the for the two biggies, aerobic capacity, VO2 max, 
and lactate threshold or anaerobic threshold, those things can be improved just as easily indoors as they can be outdoors. In fact, maybe somewhat easier indoors because you can really focus on the numbers and make sure you're doing exactly what you're what you're trying to accomplish in the workout. Sure, and you know it's interesting. And I think what we're seeing too is, especially in, in this past spring or past six or seven months, is that people's consistency is going up. Yeah. So, uh, one of the things that Joe and I talked about early on in this process was the, especially when you get a new athlete, um, you're coaching a new athlete. If you can just get that athlete to work out more frequently and with more consistency it almost doesn't matter what you are having them do. They're going to get better. Mm-hmm. So the in, making indoor training, indoor cycling more convenient, enjoyable, uh, lowering the barriers to actually getting on the bike, we're seeing people just put in more and more hours per month than they used to. Um, just because if you add one ride per week or you add you know, two or three rides a month, it's going to start to add up over the course of months. Sure. Sure. So, you know, it's interesting, Joe, that you mentioned, uh, lactate threshold and VO two max is sort of the two key indicators. Um, but you didn't mention FTP, which I feel like has come to the forefront of everybody's mind, especially since indoor riding has become a thing because it's so easy to calculate. Um, do you think that's, uh, an important number? Like the, golden number that everybody should know? I mean, is it is it valuable like it is for the, the lactate threshold in the VO2 max? Yeah, it's, it's very similar. It, but what I was talking about were uh, physiological measures of fitness. Mm-hmm. So VO2 max and lactate threshold are physiological uh, measures of your fitness. And there's a third one I'll throw in. We'll come back to later on, I think. But FTP is just one way of organizing your workouts and it's not the only way. It's a tool. That's what it is. It's like it's like a, a carpenter has tools in his in his belt. He's got he's got a tape measure and he's got a hammer and he's got a screwdriver. And it depends on the situation which thing he's going to use. He's not going to use a hammer to measure something. Mm-hmm. So it just comes down to what it is we're talking about doing. But FTP can be used as one of these tools, which is very good for for some types of workouts to use that. And you can, you can measure it indoors as, as easily as you can outdoors. So we can come up with a number which can be used for a lot of the workouts. I would not suggest it's, it's the be-all of training. It's just a number that we can use for certain types of workouts to give us some focus. Mm-hmm. That, that's really all it is. It's, it's not a measure of fitness. Gotcha. So, so it is so it physiological. Is, yeah, so it is there as a tool, but it's not the tool necessarily that everybody right. should be using all the time. Um, yeah, for example, a uh, you know a Cavendish, he really doesn't care what his FTP is. Yeah, just to give you a really good example, it stands out. You know, if you know, you know, his, his what his FTP is has very little meaning in terms of what he's got to pull off in a race. Right, right, right. He's got to get to the finish line, and then max power is the thing he's looking for. Mm-hmm. And that that's the measure of his of what he's all about. Right. So if you're a sprinter. You know, FTP is okay, but it's not the the, the measure of what you're all about as being a sprinter. Mm-hmm, it's more for a time trials, for example, mm-hmm. or perhaps even a climber. But there are other numbers, too, that are important. It's just one of those numbers, one of those tools that we can rely on to mm-hmm. give us guidance for workouts. Sure. I don't know if you can see my beer gut, but I'm a sprinter too. It's, uh, it's, all, it's all right <laughs> in the inertia. <laughs> um, so, you know, with that said... Um, the book, you know, offers a lot of guidance on what gear you need to ride inside effectively. But can before we get to that, um, 
Can you explain or or guide us, walk us through some of the common mistakes people make when they're choosing the gear for indoor riding? You know, I, I you know, if I'm listening to this podcast and I'm listening to you talk about all the advantages of training, w- before I even do all that, I need to get set up. Um, and there's so many things out there that I could spend money on. Um, what are some of the common mistakes you've seen people make getting set up for indoor riding and training? Um, I think they're probably three main ones. Um, the first being believing that you need all of the new tech. Mm-hmm. Um, as, as much as the new stuff makes things more, uh, more fun, more engaging, um, and probably more convenient to, to do the workouts, you can still gain the fitness that you need using rollers and a, and a wind trainer. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not going to be as fun, but you can, you can get it done. Sure. So, I think that there, we have to be honest that there are people who aren't going to go out and spend $1,200 on a trainer. There are people who aren't going to have the means to have the internet connection that's necessary to stream um, Zwift well enough that they can do e-races. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, and that shouldn't be a, a barrier to them being able to train effectively. Um, then once you have the equipment, I think the other two mistakes that we see are when I when I look at the you know the photos of people's pain caves, I'm always surprised, or I'm often surprised, at how high the monitor or the computer screen is. Um, indoor cycling is a great place to adapt to a new outdoor position, or at least maintain your outdoor position for time trials, for um, for riding in the drops, for climbing, things along those lines. And if you have your line of sight essentially equal to where your riding position would be outdoors, that would make sense. Mm-hmm. But when I see a lot of people uh, setting up their spaces, the television or the monitor is very high. Mm-hmm. So then consequently, their riding position is very high or very uncomfortable when they're craning their neck and everything else, um, which if you're going to spend many hours doing it is either going to be painful or you're going to feel the effects of that when you go outside. Sure. Um, the other one is the is airflow. Um, I think people underestimate how much airflow there really is outdoors. Yeah, for sure. Um, and one fan pointed at your face and torso isn't going to come close. Mm. Um, the one way to think about it is, and people love this, that giant puddle of sweat under their bike, <laughs> but the amount of heat that was carried away from your body when water drips off of you is far lower than when it actually can evaporate off of your skin or off of your clothing. Right. So we don't want that giant puddle of sweat underneath you. We want it to have been taken away in some other other way. Mm-hmm. Um, and then similarly, the even psychologically, the, the thermal strain has a big effect on perceived effort and comfort. Mm-hmm. And so if you get very overheated, your power output's going to start dropping just because it your body and your, and your mind is saying, I don't want to do this anymore. Right. Um, so really if people can invest in more airflow, yeah. it's going to do them, do them wonders. Yeah. And I, and I'll, I'll second that. I mean, just, just having a fan, uh, on my body while I'm riding, uh, you know, if, if I, if I'm hot and gross and sweaty and I get that big puddle, I don't want to do another trainer session, <laughs> you know, it's, dis- <laughs> it's discouraging. Um, and I have one of the fancy, you know, Wahoo, uh, fans that adjusts based on your, your, um, your effort, you don't need that. I mean, you can go to target and get a $15 box fan 
and and it's going to give you the airflow you need. Uh, or three. Or three, yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you sweat like I do, definitely three or four. Uh, well, I mean, the reason the reason for more than one is that is the you know your back mm-hmm. has to get some airflow. Yeah. Your head, uh, the rest of your torso. I mean, it really is a um, all around kind of airflow is mm-hmm. going to benefit you. Sure. So just uh, before we we're going to take a break here in a moment, but Jim, just before we we do that. Um, Give me just a quick rundown of what the basics are for a regular old rider who just wants to survive winter and the basics for a racer who actually wants to use time effectively uh, for their indoor riding. Okay. Well, I mean, it comes down to, again, what's going to get you on the bike most often. Mm -hmm. Um, If cycling is your social outlet, like if that's who your group of friends are and, and this past several months has led you to really miss that component, then... Something like Zwift or another um, app uh, that allows for group rides is going to probably be your best bet uh, because you really need the accountability and the social aspect. If you ride at 4.30 in the morning or at 10 o'clock at night because of your personal schedule and career, then the social aspect may not be as feasible. There may not just be people, at least within your own peer group, that you're going to be able to connect with. Mm-hmm. With Zwift, you have an international group and you can get group rides 24 hours a day. So there is that option. But at least the interactive apps um, or the the, uh, the um, connected apps give you a chance, no matter what the time of day is, to get a good workout and have the entertainment, et cetera. Um, the other thing is if you if you live somewhere like, uh, like Joe does in Sedona and doesn't have great internet access, um, you may struggle with the streaming apps mm-hmm. and you have to be realistic about that because if you can't get through a 45 minute to 60 minute workout without the internet dropping three times and having to reconnect things and get off the bike and yeah. then that may not be a, that may be a more frustrating option for you than it is helpful. Sure. Sure. Um, there are some of the apps that allow you to download content so that you don't ha- so you can work them offline. Sufferfest, uh, the Sufferfest and Wahoo app, um, allows you to download content so you can go offline. Mm -hmm. Um, And then with athletes who are struggling with motivation, um, I think it's really important to have a dedicated space to use your trainer Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because it's just one less thing. If you have to drag all your your stuff out and reconnect it every time and get the fans set up and Mm -hmm. everything, it's going to, you're not going to get on the bike as often. Um, So if people have the space available, um, I definitely recommend a, a dedicated and dedicated space for indoor cycling. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to take a, a quick break here, but when we get back, uh, Joe, I'm, I'm curious to, to talk a little bit about um, the transition from, from indoor riding to outdoor riding and making sure that all those gains you get on the trainer translate to your outdoor riding. Uh, and maybe we'll get to your third important thing <laughs> finally, <laughs> but let's take a quick break and we will be right back. Check out the new Karoo 2 from Hammerhead. It packs all the features users love from the original Karoo into a smaller, lighter, and more powerful device. The Karoo 2 is 40% smaller, 33% lighter, and packed with more room for maps, data, and software upgrades with 32 gigabytes of high-speed storage. 
The beautiful and highly customizable data display offers best-in-class, visually stunning mapping and navigation. It's the most connected head unit available with AMP Plus, Bluetooth Low Energy, Wi-Fi, 3G, 4G, and GPS capabilities. Karoo 2 pre-orders are already sold out. Head over to www.hammerhead.io to sign up so you know when they're back in stock. Okay, we're back with Joe Friel and Jim Rutberg, who have written the book Ride Inside, The Essential Guide to Get the Most Out of Your Indoor Cycling, Smart Trainers, Glasses, and Apps. Um, Joe, uh, you know, we, we talk a lot about the, the gains we get from indoor riding and translating them to actually our outdoor riding. What does that transition look like, and why should riders even think about that? I mean, what's, what's really the difference between riding inside and outside? Yeah, well, it's, there are some obvious things. I, I mentioned there were, a little while ago there are three physiological measurements of, of uh, fitness, if you will. I talked about two of them, which are VO2 max or aerobic capacity and lactate threshold or anaerobic threshold. These are two of the biggies. The third one, most people never even think about. They're more, very concerned about the first two, but the third one almost never crosses their mind. It, it's economy. How economical are you in movement? Uh-huh. Um, a really good cyclist is very economical. They don't waste any energy. A really a novice athlete, you can see it immediately. So you put a novice on a bike, and you can see they're wasting all kinds of energy. They're pedaling squares, for example. Yeah. Uh, they can't get around corners. They can't climb. There's all these things they can't do. They get out of the saddle, and they, they, all, they start to fall over. <laughs> but a good cyclist doesn't have those problems. They're very economical. They don't waste energy. So that's the third thing, which most of us never give any thought to, Unfortunately, riding indoors doesn't do anything at all for economy. Hmm. I shouldn't say that. That's probably too, too general, too broad. It does do some things for economy. Um, the thing it probably does the most to help, it, but you have to be very cautious with it, depending on what kind of equipment you have, is pedaling the bicycle. Mm-hmm. Most of us don't think of pedaling a bicycle as being a skill, yeah. but it is. Uh, it's, it's really a fairly complex skill to make that movement and to do it economically. Yeah. Uh, as I mentioned before, good riders are, are make the pedal stroke look effortless, mm-hmm. whereas novices make it look like it's a, a, a task that they're having a hard time doing. <laughs> yeah. And there's all these people in between the two extremes. So that that's the big thing. If you're riding indoors with an old, let's call it a dumb trainer instead of a smart trainer, the old style trainer, which is just, just a machine you hook your bike up to, and it could be rollers, it could be... It could be the, you know, the a magnetic trainer or a friction trainer or a wind trainer. There's all these possibilities for these older types of trainers. And if you're riding on something like that, you're, you're not really going to be doing much to improve your economy. In fact, your economy could get worse because you'll forget how to pedal the bicycle. Mm-hmm. And you'll certainly, no matter what your equipment is, you're going to forget how to corner. You're going to forget. And when I say forget, I'm talking about you begin to lose the skill. Sure, sure. Hyper climb how you're going to time trial, getting a narrow position and still being able to apply the, the power that you need to be able to, uh, to ride steadily at a high output. If you're not in a narrow position indoors, but you're going, you're turning for an outdoor event, which time trialing, you're really losing one of the skills that's highly important to, to doing that kind of event. So really the stuff that we potentially have losses of have to do with uh, economy or primary, really in more detail skills, uh, than anything else. Um, the thing that can help this, especially the pedaling, is if you have a flywheel on your bike. If you have one of the newer trainers that has a flywheel, 
that will remove some of the loss of pedaling skills. Mm -hmm. let, me, let me explain pedaling skills. We'll start first of all with the old basic indoor trainer, the wind trainer or whatever, magnetic trainer, whatever type the person may have had. In that kind of um, uh, trainer, when you apply force to the pedal, typically are going to apply it relatively late in the, in the pedal stroke indoors. But we have to learn to apply it earlier because what happens is the rear wheel is making this continuous motion. When you're outdoors, there's a lot of momentum that goes into that motion. So when you apply force to the pedal, there's already the pedal is all, I mean, to the, the wheel is already turning. Mm -hmm. All we have to do is apply force to keep it turning. And so it's, it's one um, application of force after the other, maybe 10,000 times an hour. But that's happening over and over and over. But when you're indoors, the wheel doesn't have momentum. It loses momentum very quickly with that type of trainer. So if you if you um, are pedaling with an indoor trainer, with the old style of trainer, what happens is when the when the pedals come to 12 and 6 o'clock, the wheel begins to slow down immediately. And so you have to apply more force to overcome that that slowing, yeah. that loss loss of momentum to reestablish the inertia and so you, you become very wasteful of, of um, energy and so what you have to learn with that type of a trainer indoors is to apply force to the pedal earlier which is actually a good thing to do if you can the really good cyclists apply force to the pedal at somewhere before the one o'clock position on, on the if you think of the circular motion of pedaling the bicycle as being a clock one o'clock is the start of the downstroke. Really good cyclists start to apply force forward and downward before one o'clock. Mm. And they'll do that until five o'clock. So they got this long pedal stroke where they're applying force to the pedal. The novice cyclist applies force to the pedal starting somewhere around 2.30 and is done by 3.30. Mm. So you got this very short little pedal stroke. And that's why they look like they're pedaling squares. Mm -hmm. Is because they're just pedaling from 3.30 to 4.30 or from uh, 2.30 to 3.30. And they got this very short little stroke going on, whereas the more established and more experienced athlete has got a longer pedal stroke. That's really the good side of using that kind of a device is turning indoors on that will force you to learn to do that. Mm -hmm. Now, the way to get around that problem is to have a flywheel on your, on your device, on your machine, which most of the, new, the newer um, – uh, trainers, indoor trainers would have. Yeah. So that then keep, allows you to have that momentum that you have outdoors. So when your pedals are 12 and 6 o'clock, the wheel has still, still got momentum to drive it through that small range until you engage the pedal with force again. Mm -hmm. So that's the benefit of, of, of riding in, indoors versus also the detriment of riding indoors. And it has to do primarily with pedaling. But Pedaling the old type of trainer can actually help you to learn to do, become a better, um, better pedaling a bicycle out, outside because you don't have the flywheel to rely on. Mm -hmm. So you have to learn to pedal in a different way. But during that period of time when you're trying to learn, you become very uneconomical. Mm -hmm. Your FTP is going to suffer. It's going to take a nosedive. Mm -hmm. You're going to have much smaller FTP indoors with that kind of a trainer than you would have with a flywheel mm -hmm. or being outdoors. So, Indoors is not um, is not perfect. Uh, skills are the primary thing you have to really be focused on. And when you get outdoors, you've got to really got to work on those skills. Cornering for a lot of athletes is something that's challenging. Yeah, yeah. 
uh, especially in a race. If you're in a, in a, in a group of riders and you're going around 90 degree turns like a criterium, um, that can be really dangerous for some athletes. Mm-hmm. Um, all experience that we've all had those athletes in races with us and, and you try to stay away from those people because you can see they don't have the skills. If you spend a lot of time indoors, those skills are going to begin to wane. Mm-hmm. You're going to lose some of the skills. So we need to get back, we need to get on the road frequently to kind of uh, reestablish mm-hmm. our skills. Sure. So the, there's the... one other aspect uh, that's almost the opposite of what Joe's talking about, and that's the, the indoor uh, cycling, like the indoor studio bikes, mm-hmm. where it's a direct drive system. Um, there is no coasting. And the flywheel is huge. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and they're so heavy that um, they can you can generate a lot of resistance, and you can have a really great workout. The the thing that gets people sometimes, and I I talked to a lot of the indoor um, instructors about it, was that if you have the resistance too low, you end up with the the bike is kind of riding the rider yeah, yeah um the because they're they're pedaling really fast but the momentum of the flywheel is really what's driving the whole system yeah their heart rate might be high but they're really not producing any power so mm-hmm. they in those instances the instructors were saying you know, they've had to adjust how they instruct people so that they can and, and it's helping when bikes like this new stages bikes and things like that are putting power meters into the studio bikes um where they can show them that just pedaling faster isn't necessarily good right. if your power output is so low that you're just moving your legs. Right, right. So really the combination of, of gear and using it properly can give you the physiological benefits that we expect from indoor riding, but it's entirely possible to use those incorrectly and not get really any benefit out of it. Um, and and I think, you know, what Joe brings up in, in uh, with, with talking about economy is, you know, uh, Yes, all the physio- physiological benefits of indoor riding is there, and you can focus on that in the winter. But yes, the skills you can't really develop that as much on the trainer. So the transition, the transition from indoor to outdoor, you- you're going to find yourself every spring being like, "Oh, I got to remember how to corner. Uh, I got to remember how to pedal circles." <laughs> and you know, I think a lot of people overestimate their pedal stroke. Um, if you're unsure. Uh, and it's kind of like, you know, everybody thinks they're a good driver until they have a passenger in the car who's white knuckling it in the passenger seat, <laughs> it's, you know, and if you're unsure, you can, I mean, there's definitely software out there. There's fits, uh, you know, processes that you can go through. Um, there's devices like the Leomo device that can actually track your, your body's movements through the pedal stroke. And you can actually see where you're applying power to the pedals and where you're not. And I think the results for a lot of people would really be surprising. Um, so those are the things that once you uh, transition back from indoors to the outdoors. That's, that's the kind of stuff you could focus on. Um, well, the, the, and the newest things, um, you know, one of the things that always troubled people with bike fit was how do you make the changes to your bike fit and know that they're actually better or worse or, or how do I, and if I change something and I ride it for two weeks, how do I go back to what I was riding before? If I don't like it, all that stuff. Yeah. The especially the newest um, smart bikes from stages from uh, Wahoo, etc. They allow you to use your own saddle, any handlebar that you want, um, brake hoods, things along those lines, and you can really get a. You can use them for a bike fit test mm-hmm. to say, okay, well, what happens if I put my handlebars lower, mm-hmm. higher? Um, 
move the extensions forward, back, et cetera, um, and ride that way and see. And you can use the same courses. You can use the same workouts. You can really dial in a triathlon position, a road position. You can get used to riding in the drops. There are a lot of people who might as well not have drops on their bike because the, the bike fit that they got doesn't really allow them to even use them. Right. Um, it's because you have to spend time in the drops to get your body adapted to riding in that position. Mm-hmm. So you can use these new uh, these bikes to do that while leaving your actual outdoor bike set up in its without moving anything on that bike. So that you can see whether it works before you get a new stem. Yeah. You can see whether it works before you, you know, move the saddle position that you've had for the last four years, mm-hmm. things like that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I want to make sure everybody understands that who's listening is that we're, we're giving you kind of like the, the salt on the steak of what's in this book. I mean, it's just that we're, we're really just glossing the top of, of the depth of this book. But, um, you know, it, because we're running out of time, I want to um, jump into e-racing because that's blown up in the last year, too. And so, you know, give, give us a little bit more of the, the salt on top of the steak here. But, uh, what you know, e-racing is still in its infancy and and it has a lot of its own quirks that differ from racing outdoors. How can a rider prepare for those those quirks and get set up for an effective e-race experience, whether that's equipment or training or preparation? Um, you know, how can I set myself up for success? Oh, Jim, we lost you. I lost you, Jim. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, one of the things is that it, it, it's changing very quickly. So uh, as soon as I say anything about a power-up or a feature of one of the apps, it's going to probably change. Um, but one of the things, some of the things that are universal or seem universal across the apps is that the races start extraordinarily hard. Yeah. <laughs> um, harder than anything outdoors. Yeah. Full-on sprint. And to the point where you've got to be pretty much at full power when the flag drops. Yep. Um, and it, you have to hold on for however long that's going to last until it, it does calm down. But that's one of the very different things between indoor and outdoor. Um, knowing the course, I think one of the things that has emerged over the period of, of time as e-racing has gotten more popular is that in the beginning, people just, you know, they didn't really pay attention to the course that much. It was just show up and pedal. Mm-hmm. Now people know where the where the gradients are highest, where the turns are, where everything is. Um, and they use those to their advantage. So you have to know the course. Um, and then calibrating is a big thing. Um, you know, there, unfortunately there are ways to, to cheat the system a little bit, at least there are still, um, by putting in the wrong weight or, uh, messing with the drag coefficient and your height and things like that. But if you're going to be hopefully honest about all of those things, just make sure that your setup is correct to your to your body currently. Mm-hmm. As in, if you weigh more than you actually thought, you know, putting your goal weight into Zwift is different than putting your actual weight into Zwift. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, and that's going to make a difference. So th- things along those lines are going to mm-hmm. uh, going to change. Um, and then knowing the, the system itself, the, the power-ups, how to use them, when to use them. Um, and then I think there are some things that happen indoors that just are a little bit different than outdoors in that you can't really tell. Outdoors, you have cues as to whether or not the guy next to you is gonna is about to crack. Right, right. You know whether he's struggling or not. 
that's a lot harder indoors because you can't see them right. unless it's a live stream. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can watch their uh, watch their uh, their um, power to weight ratios a little bit mm-hmm. to see whether somebody's kind of digging deep or whether they're sitting back or things along those lines. Um, and then with because there's no risk of crashing, um, people seem to go deeper. Mm-hmm. I mean they'll put their head down and go cross-eyed because there's no risk of, you know, falling down really. Um, and so I think that you, in some cases get performances indoors that would be difficult to replicate outdoors. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, For sure. Uh, Joe, you know, as somebody who's been coaching and teaching for decades, what surprised you most about Zwift, both in terms of usability, uh, and maybe detriment? I mean, what the nuances of this program, how is it changing the way people train? Yeah, but I guess I guess the biggest concern I have is that um, e-racing has become so popular that people think it's trending now. Yeah, uh, that I think they overdo it. Whereas when you're you're racing outside on the road, there aren't races going on every day, mm-hmm. so you, you you're more be more um, you have more time to train between races than you would right now. You get the option of racing almost every day if you want to indoors. So that, that concerns me. I think it, the workouts become the biggest challenge most athletes run into is they don't understand how to, they don't understand rest. Mm. They don't understand the need for backing off and taking it easy. And that's, that's a, a gigantic part of a good training program is yeah. making sure you're recovering uh, fully mm-hmm. uh, from time to time and have intermittent periods of when you're having partial recovery taking place, like, you know, take taking 48 hours away from high intensity and just doing some long, easy rides. Yeah. That's easy to do outside. But as soon as you throw in another person, even if that's outside, same idea, as soon as another person joins you, it is no longer going to be an easy ride. It all of a sudden becomes a hard ride or at least a moderately hard ride. Mm-hmm. And so it's very difficult to get people who are addicted to e-racing to, to back off and take it easy and just get in an easy ride. Yeah. That's probably the biggest challenge I see to, to what's going on right now. Mm-hmm. I could totally be a rest coach. I'm awesome at resting. <laughs> Sometimes I rest during races. I don't. <laughs> Guys, uh, thank you so much for joining me today to talk about the book. Um, it's it's. It, like I said, guys, we just got a dusting of what's inside this book. It's really quite in-depth. Uh, and so if you are listening and are interested in reading uh, Ride Inside, you can go to velopress.com and you can save 15% by uh, using the code Ride Inside. Um, and I would highly recommend it if you're going to be spending a lot of time indoors this winter or just generally using your indoor riding, riding to train even for outdoor races. Um, so, guys, thanks again for, for joining me to talk about the book today. I really appreciate your time. Thank you, Dad. Thank you. For those of you listening, if you have questions about this podcast or any of the episodes of the Tech Podcast, please do feel free to reach out to me, dcavallari, at velonews.com. You can also find me on social medias at uh, Dan. That's on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, and if you have suggestions for topics you'd like me to cover on a future episode of the Velo News Tech Podcast, as always, I love it when you guys do my work for me. So please do feel free to reach out to me. Uh, and in the meantime, uh, thanks again, guys. And for those of you listening, thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time.